This is Radio Maria England, and we now present Poetry for the Season, Lent, with poet Sally Reed. Welcome to Poetry for the Season. We're in Lent again, our journey with Christ, our time to walk with him and towards him. I'm Sally Reed, speaking to you from just outside Rome. And for these spiritually rich weeks ahead, I have some phenomenal poetry to share with you. So if you've chosen to give up coffee or chocolate or some other little luxury, I hope you'll let me nourish you with the best chosen words. Actually, I think this year it might be a struggle to know what to give up because we've had so many things to give up recently. But a friend of mine says she's going to give up worrying which I think is an excellent idea. During private revelation, Jesus actually pointed out to St. Faustina that she needed to give him her misery. She'd given him everything else, but she was holding on to her misery. That, I think, would be a great thing to give up for Lent. So this week, we're journeying towards the transfiguration, that shocking and luminous occasion when Peter, James and John witnessed Christ dressed in the most unearthly white. I always think of the Transfiguration as a glimpse of what we're preparing for, a light that we can never really know on this earth, and it's something we really do have to prepare for. We need to whittle ourselves to our true selves, our most authentic selves not the person crippled by worry, not the totally together woman in the sharp suit, nor the glamorous influencer on Instagram, but truly ourselves, so we can have the closest possible encounter with God. Bearing all this in mind, I want to begin with an unusual choice of poem perhaps, but it's quite famous. John Clare is known as one of the most celebrated poets of the 19th century. And yet, in a sense, like our dear John Keats, poetry almost killed him. He came from a very poor family and was a farm labourer who happened to write the most astonishing poems. His first book was very successful, and for a while he was able to support himself and his large family through his writing. But at the same time, he apparently felt very torn between literary London and his very simple rural life. His poetic star waned during his lifetime and money troubles and poor mental health led him to an asylum where he died. He was subject to delusions. He thought he'd married his first love as well as his wife. He thought he was Lord Byron and even Shakespeare. And yet his most famous poem is one of the clearest descriptions of what it means to be. He wrote it while he was hospitalized towards the end of his life. And here it is. I am by John Clare. I am, yet what I am, none cares or knows. My friends forsake me like a memory lost. I am the self-consumer of my woes. They rise and vanish in oblivious host, 
like shadows in love's frenzied, stifled throes. And yet I am and live, like vapours tossed into the nothingness of scorn and noise, into the living sea of waking dreams, where there is neither sense of life or joys, but the vast shipwreck of my life's esteems. Even the dearest that I loved the best are strange, nay rather stranger than the rest. I long for scenes where man hath never trod, a place where woman never smiled or wept, there to abide with my creator God and sleep as I in childhood sweetly slept untroubling and untroubled where I lie, the grass below, above the vaulted sky. Oh dear John, <laughs> it's very depressing, but we can learn a lot from this poem actually. What I am none cares or knows. Now it is melancholic and depressing, but there is a great truth there. No one can truly, truly know us but God. Of course, there are people we're very close to who know us very well. But something faith has taught me is that only God knows me back to front and upside down. And in fact, John brings us to that place, which sounds almost like Eden, where man hath never trod, where woman never smiled or wept. How very sweet that place sounds, where we can sleep like a child, untroubling, and untroubled. How much John, in his illness, in that asylum, must have longed for that state, to be alone with God. Who knows him? Who knows he's not Byron? He's not Shakespeare. He's not a worthless peasant, but nor is he some kind of romantic dandy. How confusing his life was. How many roles did he feel compelled to play? But God knew. God knew him and he knows us too. This Lent, I think that's my prayer, to see myself in absolutely honest terms. Of course, one thing we need as we go into the desert of Lent is silence. We need silence to pray. But it's not always easy to find, is it? Especially with children schooling from home and us working from home, or even just the noise in our own heads. Therese of Lisieux, the wonderful French saint who was canonised in 1925 and became insanely popular, wouldn't know much about distractions, you would have thought. After all, she led her short adult life in a cloistered Carmelite convent. But of course there were plenty of distractions and irritations. The Catholic poet Sarah Law has just published a wonderful book of poems called Therese, which charts the life of St. Therese. I want to read you one now which illustrates how Therese managed to deal with an annoying noise during evening prayer. Rattled from Therese, poems by Sarah Law, copyright 2020 by Sarah Law, and this is used by permission of Paraclete Press that you can find at paracletepress.com. Rattled. A tiny scrape of nail on tooth distracts her from her silence. 
It is vespers, and later the scrape will turn to an incessant tick, as vigil is kept for Our Lady's Eve. Therese kneels, knots together her own desire to turn and hiss at this sister beside her. God knows prayer is elusive enough without the wretched snag of sound. The clicking itches through her resolve, a mouse scratching at the soul's low door. She breathes it down, inhales the wax and wane of the night. But nothing comes of intercession. So Therese, in poverty, offers the song of nail on tooth. It silvers the dark as a grace note gleams over the pause between heaven and earth. I love that. I love how Therese offers up this annoying little noise as a song and how it gleams over the pause between heaven and earth. I do recommend Sarah Law's book. It's beautiful. There are wonderful pieces about Therese's life and her death. And Therese is such a fabulous intercessor. It's worth getting to know her even better. And Sarah's book will help you to do just that. On the topic of silence, I'm going to turn now to a poet I mentioned earlier, John Keats. I really want to include poems by Keats today, as the 23rd of February is the 200th anniversary of his death. Keats wasn't religious. In fact, he was pretty much an atheist. But he had a religious sensibility, as all poets do, and an enormous sensitivity to suffering. In fact, Keats and his friends Shelley and Byron believed that a nasty review of Keats's long poem Endymion killed him at the age of 25. And in a sense, you know, it did. I mean, he died of tuberculosis, but the review absolutely destroyed him. Most poets and artists generally will sympathise with Keats. Bad reviews hurt badly. After all, what we create is a part of us. We bear our souls to the world and make ourselves horribly vulnerable. But part of the trouble is that we rely too much on the world's gaze, the world's assessment, the world's applause. We have to bear in mind that it's only the greater divine gaze that counts, not people on social media, not even those closest to us. Keats is buried in the Protestant cemetery in Rome, and on his gravestone is written, This grave contains all that was mortal of a young English poet, who on his deathbed, in the bitterness of his heart, at the malicious power of his enemies, desired these words to be engraven on his tombstone. Here lies one whose name was writ in water. He truly believed that he wouldn't be remembered and how very wrong he was. I'm going to read you a poem now by Keats about stepping into the desert of silence, which is so good for prayer. And in fact, Keats is even moved to prayer in the poem. I want you to imagine now being cooped up in a noisy city for a long time and taking one day out in the country. Maybe it's not a noisy city, but a noisy house or just the noise of your own thoughts. 
Anyway, know that feeling, a day of intense quiet in the country, the feeling of being able to breathe again. In this poem, Keats describes this long, quiet day, lying down in the grass and reading a good book, and then returning home in the evening. One small note, he mentions Philomel, which is a classical allusion to a nightingale. To one who has been long in city pent, by John Keats. To one who has been long in city pent, tis very sweet to look into the fair and open face of heaven, to breathe a prayer full in the smile of the blue firmament. Who is more happy when, with hearts content, fatigued, he sinks into some pleasant lair of wavy grass and reads a debonair and gentle tale of love and languishment. Returning home at evening with an ear catching the notes of Philomel, an eye watching the sailing cloudlet's bright career, he mourns that day so soon has glided by. E'en like the passage of an angel's tear that falls through the clear ether silently. To breathe a prayer full in the smile of the blue firmament. That's what I want to do this Lent, to smile up at heaven. I love the way he describes too the passing of the day as the passage of an angel's tear. Let's have another one by Keats where again, almost in spite of himself, he touches on the eternal, the immortal. This one is about his fear that he would die before he'd written all that he wanted to, and that he would have to leave his great love, all of which, of course, was very sadly prescient. You may know this one. When I have fears that I may cease to be, by John Keats. When I have fears that I may cease to be, before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain, before high piled books in charactery hold like rich garners the full ripened grain. When I behold upon the night's starred face huge cloudy symbols of a high romance and think that I may never live to trace their shadows with the magic hand of chance. And when I feel, fair creature of an hour, that I shall never look upon thee more, never have relish in the fairy power of unreflecting love, then on the shore of the wide world, I stand alone and think, till love and fame to nothingness do sink. Thank you, dear John Keats, whose name was not writ in water, and neither, by the way, is yours. I'd like to read a poem now by a contemporary poet, a living poet, called Tim Beat. That's B-E-T-E. -E. Tim Beat is a discalced lay Carmelite who writes wonderful poems. And this one is taken from his collection, Wanderings of an Ordinary Pilgrim. 
The poem takes us to a place again that's silent and abandoned. And it's really about us feeling abandoned. That's the crucial thing, I guess, why we hold on to noise and distraction. We fear the emptiness of silence. Orphaned by Tim Beat. Abandoned by a once intimate God, I lay naked on the canyon floor, bare skin exposed to the elements and circling birds of prey. Iced by night and scorched by day, for weeks and months I lay still, but could not die or even sleep. I longed to close my eyes. Then, just as quickly as he had gone, God was the canyon and the sky. His largeness was his largesse, and I knew that he remained. Very powerful, isn't it? I love that. And just as quickly as he had gone, God was the canyon and the sky. His largeness was his largesse. It's beautiful. Even in desolation and abandonment, God is there. God is especially there. Well, we have time for one more poem, and this one is very special indeed. It's special because it reflects on all I've just been saying about paring down, about giving up in silence, but it shows us what we reap and what we receive. It's written by the Dominican priest and poet, Father Paul Murray. I highly recommend you check out any of Father Paul Murray's books, his poetry, his new book about Catherine of Siena, his writing about St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and he even has a new book of poems coming out soon, I believe. Here is On Living Life to the Full by Paul Murray. It's taken from his collection, Stones and Stars, published by Daedalus Press, who've given permission for this reading. You can find them at daedaluspress.com. On Living Life to the Full. When your heart is empty and your hands are empty, you can take into your hands the gift of the present. You can experience in your heart the moment in its fullness. And this you will know, though perhaps you may not yet understand it. This you will know, that nothing of all you have longed for or have sought to hold fast can relieve you of your thirst, your loneliness, until you learn to take in your hands and raise to your lips this cup of solitude, this chalice of the void, and drain it to the dregs. It's so very true as a poem, isn't it? And it's as beautiful on the page as, as read aloud. I wish I could show you. There are lots of spaces in the piece, so we have time to reflect and time to hear the silence. You know, they say that the spaces and gaps in a sculpture are as important as the concrete material it's made of. And that's also true in poetry. The gaps and the silences are as important as the words. 
And what Paul Murray seems to be saying is that we need to give up and to know our own spaces to empty ourselves before we can truly receive. Well, we're clearing the decks. I hope these poems have given you some inspiration about how to do that and to find peace in disturbance, to let go of commotions and distractions. Remember, God is a poet and you are a beautiful and necessary part of his poem. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on Radio Maria England with Poetry for the Season Lent, presented by Sally Reed. This episode will be rebroadcast on Tuesday at 9.30am and again at 11.15pm, on Wednesday at 1pm and 8pm, on Saturday at 5.30am and 2pm, and Sunday at 1am. You can also hear this as a podcast on our website, radiomariaengland.uk or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other podcast providers. Please do subscribe.